Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. When you bundle your renters and auto insurance with Progressive, you could save money. But it doesn't cover any terrible memories living rent-free in your head. Hey, just wanted to remind you of that time your kicker missed the extra point and lost the game. Even though he literally never missed an extra point, he chose this playoff game to miss. Yeah, I just noticed you hadn't thought about that in a bit. Wouldn't want you to miss, you know, thinking about it. Sorry, we can't save you from that memory. But we could save you money bundling your renters and auto insurance with Progressive. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Renters insurance and bundle discount not available in all states or situations. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome, everybody, to Fruit Loops Season 2, Episode 27. Thank you so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we don't hear or know much about. Now, contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are white. There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist. 
allegedly. (laughs) (laughs) And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, Mm -hmm. the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935- 6294, and we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com, our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, and our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. That's right. And if you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign Fruit Loops Pod. Or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. And uh, we also have some merch for sale on our website at fruitloopspod.com slash merch. And if you can't help monetarily, no problem. You can always give us a five-star review on iTunes or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And be sure to share our show with your friends. Yeah. So um, who, who are we talking about today, Beth? Today we are talking about Charles Sobrage, who has been called Asia's premier serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> He's also been called the serpent the Splitting Killer, and the Bikini Killer. So Braj was an infamous con artist, drug dealer, jewel thief, and murderer. Ooh, I can't wait. So, um, how you doing? I'm all right. I'm, I'm getting along. Okay, okay. Yeah, just, yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> Not the greatest week, but, you know, <laughs> some weeks are like that. Oh, it just started. Well, I meant last week. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so how are you doing? Well, I I am all, all right. You're all right? No complaints. Game of Thrones was um, breathtaking. Yeah, um, yeah. And very satisfying kind of a bummer oh i was really satisfied um <laughs> I, I was bummed out you were yeah oh no well there's always next week <laughs> mm-hmm. last episode is next week i so know i know hopefully hopefully we'll end it on a a positive note yeah i hope yeah hopefully fingers crossed man oh man though yeah um gosh if you're not, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it, but man, oh man. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a pretty exciting episode. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then I also watched behind the scenes, like the, they, uh-huh. they do like 30 Me minutes where they, they talk about the making of the episode. I watch everything. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I try to consume as much about Game of Thrones as I possibly can. Um, So I just... It's a phenomenon. It's a great show. Everybody should watch it. <laughs> it is. It's um, the best show on television right now. Oh. But it's about to be over. Yes, it is. But there's more good shows coming coming afterwards, so we'll be okay. Yeah, and uh, there's supposed to be some spinoffs, so we'll see. Oh, no way. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's exciting news. Yeah, it is exciting. I can't say what they're going to be about or if they're going to be any good, but uh, yeah, there there's some spinoffs in the works. So mm, cool, we'll cool, see. cool, 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 cool. Um, all right, uh, let's uh, get into some listener letters. 
the angels are here. They were quick today. Yes. Thank you, angels. <laughs> See what happens when your Wi-Fi works. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> your angels went to you faster. Yes. <laughs> so um, what do you go? What do you got? What's in the bag? I got a really short one, short and sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is from Megan Elizabeth on Facebook. And she posted, I think, on our page. Mm-hmm. She just said, just listen to it. You won't be disappointed. Hey, so hip hop air horns hip-hop. to you, Megan Elizabeth. Thank That's you so much. Right. Thank you, Megan Elizabeth. Um, also, I wanted to uh, just thank one of our supporters, Percy. Lord have mercy, King. We are so grateful for your support. So we had some technical difficulties. As you know. As you know, <laughs> as you are well aware. So if you're still rocking with us, thank you. But I had to get a new mic. And uh, Percy uh, gave us a donation and specifically said, put this towards a new mic. So uh, thank you yeah, very so much. Awesome. <laughs> yes. Um, Hip hop air horns to you too, Percy. That's right, Percy. Um, Also, uh, Linda on Facebook wrote something very kind saying, Wendy and Beth, okay, I've just binge listened to all your podcasts on Spotify. I am now up to date. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Um, I am a true crime junkie. And as a woman of color, I do appreciate what you're doing. I love the chemistry together. The hip hop air horn is awesome. I agree. Um, <laughs> uh, as I'm writing this, I'm listening to episode two from season two. Keep doing what you guys are doing and I will keep listening. By the way, I listened two weeks straight to get up to date with you guys. So, uh, Linda, wow. thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Very fucking dope. All right. All right. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> here we go. So, um, who are we talking about today, Beth? It's uh, Charles Sobrage, also known as the Bikini Killer and the Serpent, one of the most notorious serial killers ever. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) So so they say. (laughs) He had to have killed anywhere between 12 to 24 people in Southeast Asia in the 70s. Most of them were young backpackers from Western countries traveling the quote unquote Asian hippie trail. All right. So now let's get into some stats. All right. So Charles Sabraj, a.k.a. the Serpent, a.k.a. the Bikini Killer. By the way, he only killed one white lady in a bikini, but the media just couldn't resist giving him that nickname. Um, I also referred, I listened, (laughs) I actually listened to the book, The Serpent, um, and I heard him referred to as El Lobo um, during these Hmm. jewelry heists. Um, and then you get, had another AKA for him and I forgot what it was. The splitting killer, splitting um, killer. because he was such a chameleon. Mm, okay. Okay. Um, he is believed to have killed at least 10 people um, from 1975 to 1976. Um, he was born on April 6th in 1944 in Saigon to a Vietnamese mother and Indian father um, who never claimed him. Uh, he was arrested multiple times and escaped prison multiple times um and we'll get into that those details later on um he was arrested for murder first on july 5th in 1976 and again on september 19th in 2003 um his known victims were let's speak their names because they matter teresa knowlton stephanie perry vitali hakim hank bintanja who was 29 and his fiance cornelia hemker she was 25 laurent ormond career uh was 26 Connie Joe Bronzich, 
um, forgive me for the names, <laughs> Avani Jacob, <laughs> uh, AJ Chaudhry, and John Luke Solomon. Um, his MO was poisoning. He poisoned a lot of, he spiked a lot of people's drinks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Drowning stra- and strangulation. And his cl- crimes took place in Thailand, Nepal, India, and Malaysia. Um, and he was sentenced to 12 years in prison in India in 1976. He got out of jail February 27th, 1997. And then he was sentenced to life imprisonment in Nepal on August 20th, 2004. So now we are going to dive into the setting. The serpent was born in Vietnam uh, and it was at the time a French colony. And it, uh, after France's defeat in the franco Prussian War of 1870 to 1871 um, and the founding of the Third Republic that most of France's later colonial possessions were acquired um, from their base in Cochin, Cochin, China. The French took over Tonkin, which is uh, in modern northern Vietnam, and Annam, which is in modern central Vietnam in 1884 to 1885. These together with Cambodia and Cochin, China, formed French Indochina in 1887, which uh, later on Laos was added in 1893. So that's just a little bit of the background. It was a French colony. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. French colony. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that. So that's yeah. good to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and the hippie trail that they talk about uh, mm-hmm. is the name given to the overland journey taken by members of the counterculture and others during the mid-1950s to the late 1970s between Europe and South Asia. The trail wound through Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, and Nepal. And there's still a street in Kathmandu dedicated to these counterculture pilgrims who traveled the world in pursuit of good hash and spiritual enlightenment. Oh, yeah. The Nepalese call it Old Freak Street. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. So can you imagine, like, I cannot imagine these days it would be impossible. What would be impossible? Hash and spiritual enlightenment? No, no, taking taking that trail through Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, oh, yeah, Pakistan, yeah. India, and Nepal. That's right. Yeah. yeah. No, I I yeah. I can't imagine. But yeah, I know. must have been pretty cool at the time. Must have been pretty cool. I mean, I did see footage on the documentary of like the backpackers, and it looked like fun. Yeah, <laughs> it looked like fun. Yeah, it did. Um, locals capitalized on these tourists operating low budget bus fleets, um, hostels, and some Indian and Nepali gurus specialized in transcendental awakening for foreigners. At home, Eastern aesthetics and philosophies were becoming ingrained in hippie culture, and many felt the urge to visit the East. But this all ended in 1979, when both Iran and Afghanistan became off-limits. Iran was in the middle of a revolution, and Afghanistan had been invaded by the Soviet Union. In Iran, the ouster of the Shah was marked with the burning of American flags and radio stations swapped rock music for speeches by Ayatollah Khomeini. Westerners, particularly Americans, were no longer welcome. Afghanistan, in the meantime, became a battleground. All right. Um, So now we're going to get into the killer's early life. Take it away, Beth. So he was born Charles Germuk Sobraj in Saigon, Vietnam, which was, as you mentioned, under French rule at the time. And he later claimed French nationality because of this. His unmarried mother was Vietnamese. 
with some sources naming her Noi and others Song. His father was a Sindhi Indian from Mumbai, and he deserted the family soon after Sobraj's birth. His mother called him Charlo. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. Little Charlo. Charles in charge of our days and our <laughs> nights. No. Charlo. No. <laughs> um, so in the book, The Serpent, um, they talked about Gur- Gurumukh's father, um, how he denied him since the beginning. Um, his mother was a beautiful and young woman. And at one point, they, I guess, were kidnapped and harassed by World War II soldiers. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, crazy. Afterwards, uh, Gurumukh, a.k.a. Charles, Charles in charge, would scream no. and cry at night. <laughs> do you have something against Charles in charge? <laughs> yes. You do. Can you please tell me? Do you hate that show? Well, it's it's a really stupid show, for one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and for two, who's the, who's the actor? Dude, uh, I don't know. Scott, before my Scott Bale. That's right. Well, he Scott was a Bale. like, teen yeah. heartthrob. You didn't have a Scott Bale poster on your wall? No, oh, I no. hate Scott Bale. I don't agree with his politics. Um, yes. Turns out he's pretty conservative. Yeah, I never liked him. No? And, nope. Oh, my. And uh, yeah, it turns out he's a stupid douchebag, so. <laughs> well, <laughs> Beth calls him as she, as she sees him. You heard it here, folks. On fruit loops. Uh, so <laughs> afterwards, so after he was kidnapped, Gurumukh, aka Charles, would scream and cry at night, and he would have nightmares. Um, there was an indication that Gurumukh slash Charles's mom searched desperately for a male suitor to support her and her son. Um, Charles was afraid he would lose his mom, and that would make it difficult for her to go out and find a man. His ethnic background was Vietnamese and Indian, but his nationality was French. It was the language he was most comfortable speaking, and he spoke with a French accent. Although he spoke many languages, he could emulate many accents. He was a chameleon. Really, he was. He was a sexy, French-speaking, charming, caramely-skinned chameleon. (laughs) He was very (laughs) handsome. Um, As an adult... (laughs) He was about five feet, eight inches tall. He was slim build. He had broad shoulders, dark hair, again, golden skin, um, muscular legs, small waist. And he dressed really, really well um, and exuded um, confidence and sexuality. Um, he was sexy and he knew it. Um, his nickname, <laughs> uh, <laughs> again, uh, he had had a ton of nicknames, but he would do all these jewelry heists. And um, in the book, The Serpent, um, his nickname for as purposes of the jewelry heist was uh, the Lobo or Wolf. He did live with his birth father for some time. His father had married another woman and they had had other children. His stepmother was unfortunately abusive to him and he would run away, hustle tourists and hide out on the streets for refuge with other young men. Mm. So Braj went back to live with his mother in 1953. Uh, his mother had a new husband, a French army lieutenant stationed in French Indochina. Uh, he adopted uh, Sabraj, uh, who was now 10 years old, and um, he changed his name to Charles, but he did not give the boy his surname. Um, he was again neglected in favor of the couple's other children. Sobraj moved back and forth between France and Indochina with the family. He was treated poorly by his mother. He wet the bed up until the age of 15. 
And in an effort to stop this, apparently, his mother would, this is fucked up, his mother would tie up his penis with a string. Like, what the fuck? I know. I know. That's wild. That's awful. Um, Yeah. So we've said this before in other podcasts, but, you know, you kind of feel bad for the child that he was at some point. Um, Yeah. And this makes me feel bad for that little boy. Yeah. That little boy. Yeah. he was a difficult boy with fre- frequent mischief and tantrums. Sabraj also habitually ran away, and his mother would punish him for this by tying him to the bed. Jesus, this woman. Also fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> also very, very problematic. Despite all this, Charles made really good grades in school. Um, he learned quickly, according to his teachers. He spoke English, French, Vietnamese, and Hindi as a child. So it sounds like he was a pretty smart yeah. guy. Yes. At a fairly young age, Sobraj began to display personality problems and discipline became an issue. In his teens, he turned to petty crime, which soon began to escalate out of control. After Sobraj got into trouble for stealing, his mother and stepfather sent him to a boarding school in Paris. At the same time, his parents left for Vietnam with their six other kids and left Charles there in Paris. Pobrecito Charlo. Charles. Yeah. I, just can't, I can't stop seeing that sound. I need to stop. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, amen. I miss my uncle Charles, y'all. Think of famous, famous songs with the name with the name Charles in them. That's all I can think of. <laughs> um, so Charles's mom did try to help him get restaurant jobs in Vietnam and in France, but he wasn't really interested. Um, so Braj's father let him return to Vietnam when he was 15, but he still got into trouble. So at about age 17, his father sent him back to Paris. In 1960, he was a teenager and he began stealing. And in 1963, at age 19, he received his first jail sentence for burglary. And he was sentenced to three years at Poissy Prison near Paris. I think it might be Poissy. Poissy, la poisson. Le Poissy Prison <laughs> near Paris. (laughs) 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 So in this notoriously harsh prison, Sobraj began to hone his skills of manipulation in order to endear himself to prison officials to gain favors, such as keeping books in his cell. While in prison, he read, studied, and learned foreign languages. In 1969, when Sobraj was paroled, he moved in with Felix Descon. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I did take French in high school, but don't remember any of it. A man he had (laughs) met in jail. (laughs) Uh, He began simultaneously living the high society life in Paris, while also dabbling in the criminal underworld with various scams and burglaries. Women would easily fall for him as he could be particularly charming. Um, Hey, uh, most serial killers are. Man, I'm watching that Ted Bundy documentary, or not documentary, it's on Netflix. Charming McTarmerson's movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So it was during this time that Sabraj met a young lady, Chantal, a wealthy white woman from a conservative Parisian family, and they fell in love. Sobraj went to jail while they were together uh, for stealing a car. And I read that this happened the very night he proposed marriage to Chantal. <laughs> oh, my God. 
<laughs> How romantic. How romantic. <laughs> Chantal waited for him, and after he was released, she became pregnant. Mm. I was under the impression that Chantal was one of those rich white ladies looking to, like, rebel, looking for adventure. Yeah, probably. Um, and she found it in Charles. Yeah, for yeah. sure. She got pregnant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Charles in charge. It's so exciting. Uh, so he, she got knocked up. They got married. And then Charles tried to live the straight life for a minute and he worked in a restaurant, but that didn't last for very long. And he started writing bad checks and robbing tourists to support his luxurious, lavish lifestyle with Chantal. In 1970, Chantal and Charles left Paris for Bombay, India. Using false travel documents, they began traveling through Eastern Europe. They would befriend tourists and then rob them of their valuables. Chantal gave birth to a baby girl named Usha in Mumbai. In the meantime, Sobraj began running a car theft and smuggling operation. Sobraj had also started gambling, and all mm. of his profits went towards his growing gambling addiction. Oh, boy. All right. In 1971, Sobraj was jailed for a jewelry heist. Uh, in the book, The Serpent, um, which is a 24-hour-long audiobook, and I listened to it at <laughs> double speed <laughs> to get through it. Um, <laughs> But they um, described the heists. And uh, again, Sobraj would introduce himself as El Lobo. And um, he would engage a young, sexy woman. In one case, um, she was like a, a, a performer, like a burlesque performer or something. And then um, she would uh, get the burlesque performer to call a local jeweler and, and bring um, their best jewels to like th this hotel and sell the jewels to this gorgeous famous woman then el lobo would would bind and gag the female accomplice and the jeweler after taking his keys then he'd leave the hotel and go to the jewelry store and steal what he could without incident because he had the keys mm -hmm. he did get arrested but he got into prison with jewelry on his person. He then used that jewelry <laughs> to bribe guards and other prisoners to do his bidding. So he was able to live lavishly while in prison. I just thought that was so wild. Like that's, I can't believe there's not a movie about this guy. <laughs> I know. Crazy. I know. Fuck the Italian it job. Fuck all those Matt Damon movies. This is way <laughs> more interesting. <laughs> um, so eventually he would escape from prison with the help of Chantal by drugging a guard. Um, but the authorities caught up to the two of them. They posted bail and escaped to Kabul, Afghanistan. Side note, when I was in high school and we were learning about the Middle East, um, we had to learn where these countries were on the map. And one way to remember what countries are, which is to start with India, then you locate Iran. And then from there you say, Iran to the stands. And then you can find Pakistan and Afghanistan and Uzbekistan. Oh, wow. Anyway. Good idea. Useless. Yeah. I mean, useless knowledge, but you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> well, it helps. <laughs> <laughs> In Afghanistan, Sobraj and Chantal continued with their activities of drugging and robbing tourists. They were arrested for uh, failure to pay a hotel bill, and Sobraj escaped from jail by drugging a guard again, up to his what old tricks. What the heck? <laughs> this is crazy. Again? Come on, motherfucker. Are you again. serious? <laughs> so uh, then Sobraj left for Tehran, Iran, leaving his family behind. Chantal posted bail and then fled. 
Weary of the constant disruption to their lives that Sobraja's criminal activity brought, Chantal returned to France with her daughter, declaring that she never wanted to see Sobraja again. And I don't think they did see each other again. Smart choice. Yeah. Way to get your head on straight, gal. Yep. <laughs> Had her fun with her interesting, fascinating companion. Handsome, yeah. Uh, you know, tall, dark, and handsome. Yeah. Exactly. And then done. Yeah. yeah I'm, <laughs> I can't keep going so, to jail. <laughs> so Braj spent the next two years on the run using as many as 10 stolen passports and visiting several countries in Eastern Europe and the Middle East. He was joined in Istanbul by his younger brother, Andre, who quickly became a pawn in many crimes in Turkey and Greece. But both were eventually arrested in Athens. Arrested again. So um, after an identity switch plan gone awry, Sabraj escaped in his usual manner, leaving his brother to serve an 18-year sentence after being turned over to the Turkish police by Greek authorities. Your own brother? Come on, dude. (laughs) Yeah, and he had switched identities with his brother and left his brother there. (laughs) Awful. That's that's diabolical. Yeah. Yeah. Great guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sabraj spoke many languages, as we mentioned. He had many passports mm-hmm. and he stayed one step ahead of the law. He took on multiple identities, including one of a woman. He could be French, mm-hmm. he could be Vietnamese, and he could be Western. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, he was a chameleon and uh, he was really good with disguises. Mm hmm. Um, I already described his sexy body already. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in part. um, <laughs> yeah, skip it. In 1974, in Athens, Greece, Sabraj got arrested for another jewelry robbery. Um, all right, I'm gonna give this guy a hip hop ear horn because he is he is just he's out of control. Um, so in 1974 in Athens, Greece, again, he got arrested for another jewelry robbery. He made another attempt to escape from the prison and was again successful. No one ever escaped from this one prison in Greece before. Nobody had ever escaped in the history of the prison. So that's pretty remarkable. Um, Yeah. From there, he traveled about getting arrested and again, escaping. Um, He told um, the, I saw on the YouTube documentary. It was a a journalist, I think. Yeah. Who wrote that he told this to. Yeah. And um, he was like, how come you keep escaping? And he was like, the desire of the guards to keep me imprisoned is no match for my will to be free. Said Sabraj. (laughs) Yeah, so so this guy, you might be getting the feeling that he committed so many crimes and ran so many scams that it's almost impossible to keep up with all of them. I know we couldn't. Right, yeah. <laughs> His talent for always being able to get out of a jam, to slip away, earned him the nickname The Serpent. And they also uh, described him as slippery. Mm. <laughs> By 1975, he was a career criminal and an escape artist. I'll say an artiste. Uh, in Rhodes, yes. Greece, he met a 29-year-old woman named Marie-Andre Leclerc, a Canadian medical secretary who was vacationing with her fiancé. Marie fell in love immediately and became his accomplice. She quit her job, dumped her fiancé, and flew to Bangkok to join Sobraj. Upon her arrival, he ordered her to pose as his secretary or his wife, as occasion demanded. She was a ride-or-die bitch 
even though Sabraj would often cheat on her. Yeah, yeah. At this point, Sabraj started targeting Western backpackers on the hippie trail. The tourists there were mostly friendly, unassuming, privileged white kids and easy prey. Sabraj hated these hippies, or that's what he later claimed. His Mm -hmm. MO was to slip people drinks laced with drugs that would cause them to get sick or pass out. Um, Sabraj and Leclerc. Uh, traveled up and down the countryside drugging tourists, then taking them in a semi-comatose condition to a spare apartment Sabraj rented. He convinced them that the local doctors were dangerous quacks and that his wife, a registered nurse, would take care of them. Sometimes he kept them sick for weeks, Leclerc administering a medicinal drink consisting of laxatives, ipecac, and quaaludes, rendering them incontinent, nauseated, lethargic, and confused, while Sobraj doctored their passports and used them to cross borders, spend their cash, and fence their valuables. It has been alleged that Sabraj wanted to start a criminal family of sorts in the style of Charles Manson's. Um, did you know one out of six couples struggle with infertility, including old Whitey and me? Seriously, that is a staggering statistic yeah. that most people don't know or aren't ready to talk about. We need good data and information about our bodies in order to have informed conversations with our doctors and make the best decisions for ourselves and our futures. Good data and information about our bodies is crucial when it comes to our body autonomies, especially in the year of our Lord 2022. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility gets you the same info at a fraction of the price. And if you go to modernfertility.com fruit, you can get $20 off your test. Also, and this is really cool, mm. if you have an HSA or an FSA, you can put those dollars towards Modern Fertility. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Now, if you want kids today, or in the future, never are undecided. It's important to have clinically sound information about your body, which can help you make the decision that's right for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com fruit. That means your test will cost $179 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com fruit. That's modernfertility.com fruit. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. How we care for our minds affects how we experience life, so it's important to invest time and care into keeping them healthy. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps, but there's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. Now, we are huge advocates for mental health here at Fruitless HQ. Oh, yes. And we have both used therapy throughout our lives, including BetterHelp, and especially in these past several years to help us deal with challenging times, Mm -hmm. challenging thoughts, feelings and experiences. Amen. Yes. And uh, now I had a recent, you know, conversation with my therapist. She was saying sometimes it's just good to talk and get some perspective. You don't yeah. have to go to a therapist just because stuff is wrong. So Right, right. And BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat only therapy sessions. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. And some people get really anxious about that. So Oh, yes. And it is much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com fruit. That's better, H-E-L-P dot fruit. 
did Charles Manson already happen at this point in history? Yes. Okay. Charles okay. Manson, uh, his murders occurred, I think, in like 1969, somewhere around there. Okay. And that he gathered followers by helping them out of difficult situations when he was actually the cause of all their problems. In one case, he helped two former French policemen named Yannick and Jacques to recover their passports that he himself had stolen. <laughs> what a jerk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's out of control. Yeah. In another, he provided shelter and comfort to another Frenchman named Dominique Renaillot, whose apparent dysentery illness was actually the results of poisoning by Sobrage. In 1975, mm. when Sobraj was 35 years old, he met a 22-year-old Indian boy named A.J. Chowdhury in a park. Chowdhury soon moved in with Leclerc and Sobraj. So now we are going to dive into the timeline with regard to the murders. Uh, so Sabraj and Chaudhry committed their first known murders in 1975. Most of the victims had spent some time with the group before their death and were, according to some investigators, potential recruits who had threatened to expose Sabraj. The first known victim was 18-year-old Teresa Knowlton. Uh, she is sometimes referred to as Jenny Bolivar. Her name was changed for a book, something uh, that confused the heck out of me because um, <laughs> I thought they were two different uh, victims, but they had the same, it was the same circumstances. And yeah, it took me a while to figure figure this out. Finally, I found oh. somewhere that, that there's several different names that were changed. So we'll reference those and tell you what names they actually are and what names they are sometimes referred to. Anyway, mm -hmm. uh, Teresa Knowlton was a young woman from Seattle who had traveled to Bangkok and was en route to Kathmandu, where she was to study Tibetan Buddhism at Kopan Monastery. Uh, according to a later confession by Sabraj, he was at the time running a con and posing as a gem dealer. He met Teresa at a resort near Pattaya and invited her to join him and an accomplice to a nightclub. There, he put a sedative in her coffee. He and his accomplice then took her to Pattaya Beach and drowned her. On October 18, 1975, Teresa's body was found by a fisherman in a tidal pool in the Gulf of Thailand near the town of Pattaya, wearing a flower-patterned bikini. Teresa was not immediately identified. Nobody had reported any Westerners missing, and she had no identification on her. Toxicology showed alcohol and hashish in her system, so it was assumed that she drowned accidentally while she was high. Mm. It would have been seven months before an autopsy determined that Teresa had actually been murdered, strangled to death. Authorities had no suspects. The investigation was hampering by the fact that Teresa's murder had initially been named an accidental drowning. On November 28th, 1975, a traveler on the road to Pattaya Beach found the body of a young man, severely beaten, drenched with gasoline, and then burned to death. Jesus. The victim was identified as a young man named Vitali Hakim from Istanbul, Turkey. 
On uh, December 16th, 1975, the bodies of a young Dutch couple, Hank Bintaja, who was 29, and his fiancée, Cornelia Hemker, 25, were found in a ditch near Bangkok. Um, they had also been badly beaten and burned alive. Soon afterwards, another body was found near Pattaya Beach, that of Stephanie Pari, uh, also known in some publications as Charmaine Carew, a young French woman who had been looking for her boyfriend, Vitali Hakim. Yeah, if you remember, that was the man who was murdered on November 28th. Burned alive, yeah. Yep. Stephanie Perry was found in similar circumstances to Teresa Knowlton in the water at the beach. But her death was identified as a homicide right away, as she had been strangled so violently that her neck had been broken. And unlike Teresa, she was found wearing a dress, not a bikini. But still, the media labeled the two murders as the bikini killings. My brother. On uh, December 18th, the day the bodies of um, Bintanja and Hemker were identified uh, and 1,300 miles away, Sabraj and Leclerc entered Nepal using the Dutch couple's passports. There they met. How did how did they pass for he passed for a Dutch person? They um, there they met. And on December 21st or 22nd, they murdered 26 year old Canadian Laurent Carrière also known in some publications as Laddie Dupar. And I don't understand why they, the, the name changed. Um, it was in one book that they changed the names, and I'm not really sure why. But then mm. um, a lot of the articles use those names. So, um, yeah, I don't, it's confusing. Very much so. And 29-year-old Californian Connie Jo Bronzit, also known in some publications as Annabelle Tremont. The, the bodies were are found in different locations one day apart, and they had also been burned. Nepalese police are able to identify the victims by making inquiries at local hotels, asking if any Westerners had gone missing because they were able to tell that they were Westerners. They mm -hmm. learned that at one hotel, a Western couple had not returned for several days. It was Laurent and Connie Jo. So now we're going to dive into the investigation. Um, authorities start connecting the murders, although they are hindered by the fact that they had been committed in different countries. So um, Sabraj is able to cross borders, but law enforcement could not. Um, but in each case, the victims' money and passports had been stolen, and many of the victims had been burned. The media caught wind of the stories of the murders, calling them tourist murders. So Braj and Leclerc returned to Thailand, once again using their latest victim's passports before the bodies could be identified. Upon his return to Thailand, Sobraj discovered that three of his French companions had started to suspect him. Uh, they had found documents belonging to some of the murder victims, and they had fled to Paris after notifying local authorities. This is not being no fun anymore. We're out of here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you got to go kill so, someplace else. <laughs> yeah. Bye. So Sabraj then fled to Calcutta, where he drugged and strangled to death Israeli scholar Avani Jacob. He stole his money and his passport, which he used to move to Singapore with Leclerc and Chaudhry, then to India and rather boldly back to Bangkok in March 1976 
one night in Bangkok. There they were interrogated by Thai policemen in connection with the murders, but let off the hook. Um, some have alleged uh, because authorities feared that the negative pl- publicity accompanying, accompanying a murder trial would harm the country's tourist trade. Yeah, I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, that's what some people say. No, oh, okay. Some people say. <laughs> Many people are saying. <laughs> <laughs> However, there was a Dutch embassy diplomat named Herman Nippenberg, uh, who was very interested in finding the murderer of his kinsmen, the two Dutch backpackers, Hank Bintanya and Cornelia Hemker. Nippenberg suspected Sobraj, even though he didn't actually know his real name. He just knew of a man and several different aliases that Sobraj was using. Mm. Nippenberg started to build a case against him, partly with the help of Sobraj's neighbor, given police permission to conduct his own search of Sobraj's apartment a full month after the suspect had left the country. Nippenberg found a great deal of evidence such as victims' documents and poison-laced medicines. He would, from then on, accumulate evidence against Sobraj for decades, despite the lack of cooperation by law enforcement. Sobraj, Leclerc, and Chowdhury next went to Malaysia, where Chowdhury was sent on a gem-stealing errand and then disappeared after giving the jewels to Sobraj. No trace of him has ever been found. And it's mm. widely believed that Sobraj murdered Chowdhury, his former accomplice, before leaving with Leclerc to sell the jewels in Geneva. Such a nice guy. Sobraj is a very bad friend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to talk about this. Yeah. We're going to sit him down. <laughs> that is not okay. <laughs> uh, can I? Hey, dude, can I talk to you for a second? Um, you know, I uh, I noticed that um, you've been, um, you know, uh, killing your friends. And I just, yeah, just you know, um, not very nice. Not very cool with that. Uh, so, How would you feel so- if your friend killed you? <laughs> right. <laughs> so soon, back in Asia, Sabraj started rebuilding his so-called clan, Clan with a C, not the not the not the other. Clan. Oh no, not the KKK. Uh, <laughs> uh, starting his in family. Bombay. <laughs> yes, his family. Uh, so starting in Bombay with two lost Western women named Barbara Cheryl Smith and Mary Ellen Ether. His next victim was Frenchman Jean Luc Solomon, who succumbed to the poison intended to incapacitate him during a robbery. Yeah. So this one, they they didn't actually intend to kill him. They uh, meant to incapacitate him and rob him, but then he died. Whoops. Um, So now we are going to get into the arrest. So uh, hit it, Beth. In July 1976 in New Delhi, Sobraj and the three women tricked a tour group of postgraduate French students into accepting them as guides. Sobraj then drugged them with pills, which he said were anti-dysentery medicine. However, when the drugs started acting too quickly and the students started dropping unconscious right there, (laughs) three of the students quickly realized what was happening and overcame Sobraj, leading to his capture by police. 
During interrogation, Barbara and Mary Ellen quickly cracked and confessed to everything. They spilled all the tea. Sabraj was charged with the murder of Solomon, and all four were sent to Tihar prison outside New Delhi while awaiting formal trial. Sabraj turned his trial into a show, hiring and firing lawyers at whim, bringing in his recently paroled and still loyal brother Andre to help, and eventually going on a hunger strike. But he was sentenced to 12 years in prison instead of the expected death penalty. Leclerc was found guilty of the drugging of the French students, then later paroled and returned to Canada. Hmm. In uh, Tehar, Sabraj led a life of luxury with a TV, gourmet food, having befriended both the guards and the prisoners. He gave interviews to Western authors and journalists and talked freely about the murders. Sobraj wanted to prolong his sentence since Thailand had an arrest warrant against him, which was only good for 20 years. It would still be valid on his release date, uh, which would lead to his extradition and almost certain execution. So in March of 1986, on his 10th year in prison, he threw a big party for his prisoner and guard friends. Uh, but he drugged them with sleeping pills and simply walked out of jail. <laughs> That's <laughs> back to his old crazy. Tricks. <laughs> <I know. laughs> That's wild. Oh my goodness! So Raj was quickly caught in Goa and had his prison term um, prolonged by ten years, just as he wanted. And on February seventeenth, nineteen ninety-seven. 52-year-old Sabraj was released, with most warrants, evidence, and even witnesses against him long lost. Without any country to deport him to, Indian authorities let him return to France. So, where are they now? After his release, Sobraj retired as a celebrity in Paris. Then on September 17, 2003, Sobraj was spotted by a journalist in a street of Kathmandu and quickly reported to the local authorities. He was arrested two days later by Nepalese police in the casino of the Yak and Yeti Hotel. On mm. August 20th, 2004, the Kathmandu District Court sentenced him to life imprisonment for the 1975 murder of Connie Jo Bronzich. They didn't have enough evidence for Laurent Carrere's murder. Uh, and he is currently serving his sentence in Kathmandu, Nepal. Nobody knows why he went to Nepal the one place in the world where there were two crimes unaccounted for and no statute of limitations. But many people think it was due to his arrogance. He did not think mm. that he would be caught. Well, you got another thing coming, circuit. Yep. Um, <laughs> Barbara Smith and Mary Ellen Ether both attempted suicide while they were in prison, but they survived and served two years for their role in the student poisonings. Marie Leclerc, served six years but was released in 1983 when she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and she died in 1984. So now Beth and I are going to talk about what we think made this motherfucker snap. So <laughs> what do you got? <laughs> well, he had a shitty childhood full of neglect and abandonment. Uh, he lived mm -hmm. on his wits in the streets from a young age and he was angry at both of his parents. Um, I think he was a psychopath. Oh. He was into so many different crimes, and I think he enjoyed mm -hmm. the chaos uh, that he mm -hmm. created, and he got a kick mm -hmm. out of uh, robbing and tricking people. 
The murders didn't start until he met A.J. Chowdhury, so Chowdhury may have been an influence, but I think the potential was always there. And once he started killing, I think he liked it. The fact that they burned some people alive and that they sometimes made people sick and kept them that way for a while makes me think that he was also a sadist. He claimed mm. to have a deep hatred for Westerners and drug users. He claimed that all the people that he killed were drug dealers and bad people, but that's not true. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think he just used that as an excuse because he told people, I only killed bad people. Yeah, that's not true. I don't, yeah, believe, not I don't true. buy that for one second. Yeah. So I think he was a psychopath and um, that was due to his shitty upbringing. Yeah, he did have a pretty shitty upbringing. I mean, you're not going to turn out all right if your mom's tying up your penis just because yeah. you have the benefit. Yeah. Um, so he had an abusive mother. Um, he, you know, we talk about um, serial killers um, have that characteristic where they often wet the bed past age 12. Um, that was him. Um, he had issues with abandonment and neglect. Um, I also got the impression that, well, yeah, this was clear that he um, targeted these white, long haired, privileged hippies who he felt had it easy. And he resented them because his life was really difficult and he had to struggle. So um, I also do think that he really liked committing crimes <laughs> uh, yeah. and yeah. liked the the swirl of chaos that he created. Yep. So I, agree. I don't think he snapped at all. Just, yeah, I think it was, dad. yeah, it was, this was his life and he, he enjoyed it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's my life. <laughs> so now we're going to get into our take aways. So I'll start because that's what the document says. So to me, this story was fucking nuts. It's yeah. almost comical how he would commit these crimes, these jewelry heists, and then like escape from jail the same way every time he he, yeah. he drugged all the people yeah. um and the funniest instance was when he the, that one the last one where he threw a party for the guards <laughs> and he drugged them and just do -do -do, bye just bounced out of prison <laughs> it kind of reminds me of the uh the pink panther movies did you ever watch those they're old so you might not have no but um steve martin remade it yeah, it was pretty funny. Yeah, um, but there was a series of them back in the 70s, and my parents loved those movies. And there was always oh. like <laughs> jewel thieves, and I don't know, they were always doing uh, these kind of scams and things. And mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. it just kind of reminded me of, of those movies, except for the murder mm -hmm. part. <laughs> <laughs> and burning people alive. I don't think there was any right. of that in those movies. <laughs> so this story was difficult because it was so twisted and intricate there were so many things that happened um and so Braj committed so many crimes and ran so many scams it was really hard to keep track of plus all the name changes and stuff it took me a really long time to figure out what the hell happened <laughs> And I don't think I have ever heard about this guy before. I might have, but I didn't really pay much attention to it, even though he's been called Asia's premier serial killer, which it sounds like it's a show or something. <laughs> <laughs> that does kind of glamorize it. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. So if you want more information about this story, um, all the twists and turns and uh, details and stuff like that, which we didn't have time to get into. uh, Otherwise, it would have been a two-parter and I really didn't want to do a (laughs) two-parter. Pick up one of the books that we'll list in our footnotes. Also, Mm -hmm. one other thing is I don't really understand why he was a celebrity in France when uh, he was released from prison. That's, That's that's disgusting. Like it's it it just like, wild. yeah, people are crazy about Ted Bundy and uh, Charles Manson and like, what the fuck? I mean, I'm interested in the <laughs> stories, but uh, to, to make the guy a celebrity, that's fucked up. That is kind of wild. But yeah. Um, aside from all the murders, his, his, I mean, it is amazing how he was able to get captured, get out of prison, do all these cool yeah. jewelry heists. I mean, it was like, He's like a dude you, we, that actors portray on film. It, but he was yeah, if, in real life. If all he did was the scams and the jewelry stuff and escaping from jail, it'd be kind of like, uh, what's that movie? Um, Catch Me If You Can. Is that what it's called? The one yes, with Leonardo yes. DiCaprio. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that's a fascinating story. Um, but yeah. he didn't murder anybody, you know, and he didn't burn yeah. anybody uh, while they were still alive. So, you know. Right. <laughs> so, um, now we are going to get into how not to get murdered. So, <clears throat> if you love true crime and you don't want to die, Here's a tip for you. (laughs) (laughs) Every time. Yep, every time. We got to (laughs) laugh. This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. But in my mind, that is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's mistakes. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. All right. Take it away, Beth. All right. So the victims in this story were sadly very vulnerable because of their beliefs and lifestyle. Uh, They were very open and trusting. Um, It's sad to me that we can't be open and trusting like that. But when you are, Mm -hmm. you open yourself up to scams and people with bad intentions like this guy. So I just came up with a list of things. It's actually a list of tips for dating. Okay. But uh, really, I think it could apply to any situation, um, male or female. So here we go. Mm. All right. Don't accept drinks from strangers. Don't go off alone with someone you don't know well or who makes you feel uncomfortable. Meet at a public place. Trust your instincts. If it doesn't seem right, it probably isn't. Be cautious in new relationships. Go out with a group of friends until you know that person better. Pay attention to your surroundings. Avoid isolated places. Know the effects of drugs and alcohol. Be aware of what you are drinking and how much you are drinking. Do not leave beverages unattended or accept drinks from anyone you don't know well or trust. Always carry a cell phone and money to make a call. 
call your family or a trusted friend to come get you if you start feeling unsafe. Great tips. Boy, I wish I'd known these in my 20s. <laughs> Still surprised I'm alive. I know. Boy, oh I, boy, know. I did not listen to any of these things on this I list. know. I know. <laughs> so. <laughs> so now we are going to get into the part of our show where we talk about any serial killer or true crime news. And it looks like you've got a juicy one, Beth. So Yeah. So I, I just read recently that Michael Gargula, uh, not sure on the pr- pronunciation, uh, but he is currently on trial and facing the death penalty in the state of California for murdering three women. 18-year-old Trisha Picaccio found stabbed to death on her front steps in 1993 just a week before she was leaving for college. Oh, no. I know. 22-year-old Ashley Ellerin, a student at LA's Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising. She was brutally stabbed 47 times in her home in (gasps) 2001. Yeah. She was... 47 times? Yeah. She was mutilated. Yeah. And Maria Bruno a 32-year-old mother of four from El Salvador who was stabbed to death in 2005 in the new apartment she was renting after separating from her abusive husband. Oh, my God. Yeah. He is also charged with the assault of Michelle Murphy, a 26-year-old Santa Monica woman who fought off her attacker and survived in 2008. Uh, They are calling him the Hollywood Ripper and sometimes Mm. the boy next door killer because he allegedly targeted female neighbors. And this case has Mm. a little notoriety because Ashton Kutcher was actually dating Ashley Ellerin at the time of her murder. Stop it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Wow. And I remember crazy. seeing okay. one of those shows like Dateline or 48 Hours when they talked about her murder. And at that time, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know that they had any suspects. Um, mm-hmm. But I think uh, Ashton Kutcher was actually a suspect for a minute. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Wow. That's wild. Oh yeah. So, yeah, this guy is on trial. I tried to see where the trial was at this point because I think it started at the beginning of the month. Um, but I haven't mm-hmm. seen any updates uh, since the beginning of the month. So I don't think it's over yet. Mm, I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. Thank you for that story. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, now we're going to bounce into the part of our show where we shout out any content by people of color or about people of color or women, LGBTQ, or any true crime goodies. Um, So I wanted to shout out uh, United Shades of America. (laughs) And uh, it's on CNN. We've shouted it out in the past. But um, again, it's hosted by uh, W. Kamau Bell, who is a comedian and podcaster. Um, By the way, his podcast was called, he's had a couple podcasts, but uh, my favorite one is Denzel Washington is the greatest actor of all time, period. (laughs) <laughs> and they talk about Denzel um, Washington movies. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, <laughs> but back to CNN and United Shades of America, the last two episodes are fascinating. Um, one was called, 
not all white people, <laughs> about white people who are uh, allies and accomplices in the Black Lives Matter movement um, and standing up for people of color, which is re- really cool. Um, he also did an episode about the Hmong Americans and the secret war in Laos. Um, and I didn't know anything about the Hmong people, but one thing that was kind of interesting was that um, they uh, were recruited to fight for the Americans against the Viet Cong. Hmm. Um, and they, uh, had to like, like hide in the jungle. Um, and, uh, many of them fled to the United States, um, for, um, safety. And, um, even though they fought, uh, for the Americans, um, they don't get like VA benefits and things like that. So there's a lot, a lot more to their story, but, um, that was just one thing that, I was like, wow, that's fascinating. So yeah. anyway, United Shades of America is back. I'll have to check that out. Mm-hmm. So my shout out is the podcast American Scandal, um, which is a pretty good podcast. Um, but mm-hmm. in particular, I wanted to shout out the episodes on payola, which I think there's three of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it touches on racism in the music industry. It's not the whole story. This, I don't know if you know anything about payola. Nope. Nope. Not one, was, not a one thing. Not one Educate thing. Me. It was a scandal <laughs> back, back in, I think it was the fifties where DJs were taking money to play, uh, certain songs Mm -hmm. so it's about that but it also touches on uh racism in the music industry and then also Mm. uh the harry krishna murders which is a series on on american scandal which has some correlations to this story uh but only because Mm of uh westerners fascination with eastern mysticism Mm, interesting i will have to check that out american scandal podcast yep all right well, it's been fun, but it's time for us to go. So where can the people find us, Beth? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod, And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone, or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign Fruit Loops Pod, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. We also have merch on our website now at fruitloopspod.com slash merch that's right everybody if if you do get some merch take a picture of it and send it to us oh yeah yeah this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every thursday so until next time look alive guys it's crazy out there
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things, from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do, so you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to the Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way.